Chapter 2 is about the magnitude and the scope of God's salvation because of his mercy. As we see, God's determination and his ability to provide a rescue, even for someone like Jonah. If you want it in a nutshell, I think the message for us this morning in Jonah chapter 2 is something like this. God's salvation knows no limits because his mercy is so great, so wide. So the Lord has provided the huge fish. Jonah has been swallowed. And there he is. And there he remains for most of chapter 2. That is the scene in which we find ourselves today. It takes place, doesn't it, almost entirely inside the fish. And chapter 2, verse 1 continues, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now imagine, the rest of chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer, pretty much, isn't it? And after all that he's done, instead of God's judgment, what does Jonah find? He finds that God has rescued him. He prays, we're told, to the Lord his God. I think that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? After all that has taken place, God has not given up on Jonah. He is still the Lord Jonah's God. And it's what God is doing here that is once again the focus of the chapter. Uh, despite all of our questions, and I have many, as Tom reminded us last week, we need not to get too caught up worrying about the details of the fish slash whale. You know, I know. What sort of fish was it? How did Jonah breathe while he was inside it? Was it all slimy? And all the rest of those things that inevitably come to our minds when we read this account. Of course, perhaps most of all, did it really happen? Now, of course, we all know, don't we, that it's impossible to live inside a fish. And that will worry some of us. You know, can we believe that this is true? The story does seem a little bit, well, fishy, doesn't it? Sorry about that. Maybe you find it hard to swallow. Yes, I know. I just want to say, though, let's just remember, if, if God can whip up a storm, if we believe that he can do that, if we believe that God can, can be over the, the lots that are drawn by the sailors in chapter 1, then is it really any more of a stretch for him to provide a sea creature capable of holding Jonah? Uh, more than that, actually, if we believe, as Christians do, that Jesus was able to heal the sick, raise the dead, walk on water, then could the Lord not also do this for Jonah if he so chose? None of those things are possible, are they, in the normal scope of things? That's why they're in the Bible. That's why they're amazing. But that's kind of the point. We're talking about God here, aren't we? Do we believe in an actual God or one who is limited by our own assumptions about what human rules there might be? So that's all there. Of course, there are other questions we'd like to know the answers to. I certainly don't have the answers to all of them. But let's not get completely sidetracked by those questions, even if they would be interesting to talk about more over coffee later on. Uh, there is Jonah. He's in the belly of the fish. He's praying to God. And as I said, the big lesson, I think, for us to learn is that God's salvation is so great because his mercy is so wide. So let's just unpack this a bit. First of all, let's note that God's salvation is so great, he can even raise the dead. Looking at verse 2 and verses 5 and 6. Um, I don't know if you, if you um, read or heard in the news about the awful air crash which happened, I guess it's a couple of weeks ago now in, in Nepal, right, when an airplane went down. Uh, when there is a disaster like that, and there are all kinds of disasters we hear about on the news, aren't there? You know, from time to time there's an earthquake or a landslide or something. 
And what happens, it seems, is that the great focus of the news reporting, quite rightly, is on the rescue effort that is taking place. Uh, and sometimes, wonderfully, there are amazing stories, aren't there, of, of rescues as you know, some breathing is detected from somewhere within the rubble. And even you know, days afterwards, sometimes even longer, we find that someone is pulled out of all that has happened. Of course, as we also know, uh, tragically, there always comes the point in these news stories where we're told the rescue effort has stopped. And the search for survivors that becomes that awful work of a search for bodies instead. Because you can't rescue dead people, can you? But God can. That's what's going on here. It's significant that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, this was almost certainly a kind of saying in the ancient world. Three days and three nights was imagined to be the time that it took for a soul to travel from the land of the living to the underworld, the realm of the dead. In other words, Jonah has been there long enough to complete this journey. And to use one of our own cliches, we might say he's dead and buried by now. Or sometimes we might talk about someone as being six feet under, mightn't we? That's not a, about the literal depth measurement of the grave. It's a comment that someone is definitely really dead. As Jonah himself says in verse 2 at the beginning of his prayer, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you, Lord, listen to my cry. Uh, and he expresses his predicament there in verses 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And then he says, to the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. It's a terrible realization for him, isn't it? Jonah is not just in a bit of trouble. He's in a place where death is a certainty. That phrase, the earth barred me in forever. And yet, even there, God hears his cry. The Lord is able not only to rescue survivors searching through the rubble, the Lord is able to rescue the dead. That is what we're being told here. And that is the Christian claim, isn't it? That is our belief. It's what Jesus picked up on when he referred to Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Of course, he's talking about his own death. And again, he's using the three days and three nights expression, which means really dead. You know, if, you, if we stop to do the calculations, maybe it was more like 36 hours from when Jesus was buried in the tomb to when he rose again. But he's dead. There's no doubt that he's dead, just like Jonah, before he rises again. And so Jesus is using the story of Jonah there to show us that God's salvation is so great, so dependable, so powerful, that it even involves giving new life to the dead. Why are we here this morning? You may ask yourself that sometimes. Maybe particularly if you were here last week when it was really cold in church. Maybe you thought to yourself, I could be at home frying up a breakfast. You know, I could still be in bed. I could be reading the paper. You know, I could be out on the golf course. Whatever it is that you might choose to do on a Sunday morning. Why are we here, though, week by week on a Sunday? Surely it's because the Lord raises the dead, isn't it? That is worth celebrating. That is worth getting up for. That's why Christianity is such good news in the end. And in a sense, that's the point of the fish. 
Of course being rescued in the belly of a fish is impossible. It's meant to be. What do you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was really dead? You know, if we can believe in that miracle, then the big fish is not really such a big deal, is it? This is what the Lord does. He's so intent on saving his people, he even rescues the dead. It's the reason why, in the end, a Christian funeral is a sad occasion, sometimes very sad, but not a hopeless occasion, because we have a God who rescues the dead. That's the size of his mercy. Okay, here's a second thing about this salvation of God, which knows no limits. Uh, What was it that Jonah needed rescuing from? Not just the fish. The same thing that the people of Nineveh needed rescuing from. The same thing that we need rescuing from. He needed rescuing from the wrath of God. And maybe that sounds surprising. Uh, Jonah is in trouble because he ran away from God. That was his problem, wasn't it? He had heard God's word and he rejected it outright. And so he's putting as much distance as he can between himself and where God wants him to be. That's the heart of all human problems. In the end, it comes from rejecting or ignoring what we know God has said. It's the temptation for all of us, isn't it? God has spoken about many things. He has given us his word. Uh, He's spoken about himself. He's spoken about who we are. He's spoken about our priorities and how they should look, about our resources and how we should use them, our relationships, about our worship, about all kinds of things, but how easy it is to ignore what we know to be right. In effect, to do what Jonah did and head off in the opposite direction. In many ways, isn't that precisely what has got the Church of England into such bother over the last week or so? I'm sure many of you have seen the church in the news over maybe the last 10 days. It's been a difficult week for the church in the media, hasn't it, if you've been paying attention. In the aftermath of uh, the publication of the House of Bishops report at the end of the living in love and faith process, uh, all about human identity and relationships. Now, this, this isn't the time this morning. There isn't time to get into all the details of what has been said and how we should respond. I, I do, say, do want to say thank you to those of you who've spoken to me about it or written to me about it. Uh, But as we find ourselves today here in Jonah 2, in this book about the prophet who learns the hard way, the seriousness of people refusing to listen to God's voice, I do want to suggest that the bottom line of the reason why the church finds itself in such a mess right now is the refusal of many of its leaders to hear what God has said very clearly in his word, to learn the lesson of Jonah. Uh, Once again, it's not that we don't know what God has said about relationships and marriage in this example, is it? Isn't it that we don't want to listen? That's why when we did that whole series on this last spring, we started by thinking about God's word and how we listen to it and why it's important. And if that is the case, that God's voice is being ignored, then the warning from Jonah is that to reject God's word, God's voice, is to put ourselves in danger of his judgment. Now there is, of course, much more to be said about the Church of England and the ins and outs of what is happening. Uh, 
But to those who are asking, can I just uh, assure you that I am not ignoring it? Um, I am heartened by some of the responses that have come out this week, and I don't think we should despair at the moment. Um, I will be speaking further to our own church leadership about this, and I would welcome the chance to talk to anyone who has got concerns, whatever they might be. But in the meantime, can I encourage you to pray for our church, to pray for our bishops especially, and to pray for the, the National General Synod, which will be meeting in about a week's time to discuss these things. But for now, look at where his response to God's call has got Jonah. Um, he is under no illusions by this stage as to who has caused this calamity that's befallen him, is he? Uh, it's God. Look at verse 3, he says, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swirled over me. Uh, sorry, swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight. Jonah knows he's rejected God, and the result is that he now faces God's judgment, his wrath. God's righteous anger at Jonah's rejection of God's holy ways. It is a sobering message, but it's not the end of the story once again. What does Jonah need rescuing from? He needs saving from God. We all need saving from God because he is holy. From his anger because we've rejected him in the ways that we live our lives. Why is the world in such a mess? It's because of us, because of all people and the way in which uh, we have failed to listen to what he has said and live it out in practice. But as Jonah is learning through this process, God's love is so huge, so great, that it's not the end of the story. And just as Jonah has time to reflect on this inside the fish and to repent, God gives us time to turn back to him too, that we might experience for ourselves the extent of his mercy, the life that comes out of death that God has won for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's serious stuff, but when we repent, we discover for ourselves that God's mercy defeats death. It is greater than his anger. Psalm 30 says this, Sing, praise, sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. That's what we're here to do this morning. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Isn't that a great promise? God's mercy is greater than God's wrath. Lastly, God's rescue comes entirely at God's own initiative. In verses 1 to 6, we have seen Jonah's distress, the extent of his predicament, his cries for help, the reality of his death and separation from God. Then comes the end of verse 6, right at the top of the page there. He says, but you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. Jonah deserves the death he must surely face in the sea, doesn't he? But what does he get? Instead, he gets the love and the grace of God, unlooked for. Jonah didn't ask for a fish. God provided the fish, we were told at the end of the last chapter. Uh, Jonah does not save himself. God rescues him. This is God's character in action. And it's a great picture of what God has done for you, if you are a Christian believer in Jesus Christ as well. It's expressed beautifully by St. Paul in one of the great chapters in his writings, Ephesians chapter 2. You can look it up later on if you want to. 
where he writes that we were dead in our sins, in verse 1. We were deserving of God's wrath, Paul said in verse 3. But you, Lord, verse 4, because of your great love for us, because you are rich in mercy, you have raised us up with Christ, verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so we can say that now, even while we're still in the midst of our messy lives, just as Jonah could praise God when he was still in the belly of the fish, we can turn to the Lord and give thanks. In verse 7, Jonah recalls his life ebbing away in the deep stormy waters. But now, because of God's salvation, he is able to pray once again towards God, towards his temple, that place uh, that represents the presence of God. The place of sacrifice where God's wrath was turned away in Jerusalem. Even better than that now, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, because of his triumph over death, there's no more sacrifices that are needed. We don't need to face a particular direction to come into God's presence. He is here and we are in his presence. And there are no limits to the mercy of God, which he lavishes freely on all his children. So that's Jonah chapter 2. Um, as we close, how do we respond to a God whose mercy is so great, whose salvation is so lavish? Um, Jonah's response sounds pretty good, doesn't it, in verses 8 to 9? He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. You could make a hymn out of that, couldn't you? It's a, a great response to God's salvation. Gratitude, worship, repentance. A changed life. The only slight problem is, spoiler alert for the next couple of weeks here, it is hard to tell sometimes in chapters 3 and 4 exactly how well Jonah really has learnt his lesson. His words are great here at the end of chapter 2. Has his heart really changed? Well, our chapter ends today with Jonah in presumably a fairly undignified heap, crawling up a beach covered in fish vomit. It's a lovely, uh, lovely scene to leave us with, isn't it? I wonder if that's a metaphor for what the Lord makes of Jonah's fine words that he speaks there. There is a lot of debate about whether Jonah's repentance here is for real or not. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe he really did mean what he said and then just found it hard to carry it through once he saw what happened in Nineveh. We will come back to that. But what about us? Um, if you're a Christian this morning, I work on the assumption that that is exactly what uh, most of us are who are here today. We have got an amazing warning and encouragement here, haven't we? This reminder of the sheer depth of God's love for us. At the size of his mercy, when we don't deserve it, that even death cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, who rose from the dead on the third day. So will we therefore listen to his voice and follow his calling? Um, worth asking, what might God be speaking to me about today? What have I heard in his word that I like to set to one side or just not to hear too clearly? It could be about you know, your worship, your life. What is it in the light of God's mercy that you need to respond to? And if there is anyone here this morning and you're not sure you want to claim that name Christian for yourself, then do be assured of this. This God who rescued Jonah 
uh, in his mercy, is the same God who gave his own life to rescue you. He spent three days dead and buried, but he's defeated death to save people from his wrath. It is mind-boggling. It is wonderful. His invitation to you is to repent and believe in him and discover that mercy and love for yourself. So let me close once again with those words from Psalm 30. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Amen.